This is an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Good evening, uh, and welcome to another Ask Bros. Rankcast. Another ramshackly thrown together last second last minute are you awake what country are you in podcast um but we're here regardless you can see that uh darren is on holiday don't know what daz's internet's gonna be like it's a little bit in and a little bit out so if he goes all scrambly i'll yell at him tell him to be fair i think it's a lot better than yours his mind fucked is it I think it's yours that's fucked. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, you talk down while I fix the internet. No, no, you're hosting. Go you're on. Fine. If you Hold hadn't on. spent 15 minutes telling us about the politics of your Australian government, we might be ready to do a podcast. I wasn't telling you about the politics. I was telling you about the economics of the government, Darren. Because despite popular opinion on this oh, platform... started him off again. <laughs> Yes, yes, I am a fucking retard, right? But despite popular opinion, I have some opinions on some shit. And guess what? It fucking makes sense. Mike, lots of people had opinions on the game on the weekend. Uh, My first question to you, Scunny, is do you really love football if you can't celebrate, if you're such a miserable cunt that you can't celebrate a 95th minute equaliser? What is wrong with Arsenal fans? In all fairness, after listening to you a minute ago, I'm losing the will to fucking live. Like, <laughs> like, if I'm being honest, if you can't celebrate a 95th goal, then, you, you know, even if it was a draw, if you can't celebrate it, then you're a dickhead of a fan as far as I'm concerned. I can't, I don't, I'm not even going to beat around the bush on this one now. No. I, yeah. If you can't celebrate it, you, you, you're an arsehole. Dazza, are you even a football fan? Are you even uh, a football uh, fan you can't celebrate a 95th-minute equaliser? I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that in um, in all of my, uh, I don't know what, 150 years of going to watch Arsenal, I missed the goal. I got thrown out. <laughs> I got thrown out. I got thrown out when we hit the bar. <laughs> can you hear me okay, Max? You've, you've frozen. Scanny, can you hear me? You've so, now look what you've done to his internet. Now you've said something. <laughs> Honestly, it's him, isn't it? It's not me. I'm in a. I'm in a. I'm in a. <laughs> I'm on holiday. I'm in Spain at meeting next bet that is. Come on. Uh, yeah, I got thrown. No, right. I'm back. Oh, good. You're back. I'm back. Now I got thrown out. I. Uh, yeah. I. I had to leave for Spain on uh, five o'clock Tuesday. Uh, four. Four o'clock Tuesday morning. Uh, so I went and stood at the back of the stadium like you do to watch the last few minutes so I could miss a bit of the crowd and I had a fight with a steward this woman there is I, I love Arsenal and I understand and I'm standing I'm standing in the back row of Arsenal and it's a disabled bit there is one woman in a wheelchair about 20 seats from me watching the game and the woman says I'm a hazard if we need to evacuate this area then <laughs> you're in the way <laughs> there's one woman in a wheelchair 20 yards from me 
I said, well, if we need to evacuate, I'll get out of the way. It's just me. And this steward argued with me until they said, right, that's it. You're out. And called her mates over to get me hitted. I missed the goal. I never leave early. I never, ever, ever leave early. And I missed that. that and I celebrated it like that's mad. Hard. I've celebrated like mad walking across the bridge with about another 2,000 Arsenal fans who had all left early because they wanted to. <laughs> that's uh, mad. If, that, if the woman's 20 yards away, it's like, well, I'm not being funny, love, but I could, I could probably move quicker than what you should. You could get Well, I was going to say, Mike. I would have turned around and said, well, if we've got to evacuate, I'm going to run a whole lot fucking faster than her. Do you know what? The issue is, I'm I'm politically correct. I'm really careful about what I want to say here. But the woman wasn't in a normal wheelchair. She was seriously ill. You know, this was one that, you know, she had a carer with her. It was a huge thing with a control on it. It, it, She wasn't going anywhere. She was not going anywhere. I could have got out of there. Anyway, they kicked me out. So, Jesus Christ, anyway. it, it sounded like she had two paramedics next to her waiting for a fucking operation or something at the hospital. It, it was, it, it was. <laughs> they had to run was, an IV drip, yeah, and I was <laughs> defibbing her <laughs> the stadium. So now, oh, honestly, so yeah, I missed the goal, but I did celebrate on the bridge. Uh, it was a disappointing evening, man. It was a very, very, very disappointing. Can I add? Can I add Crystal Palace to my list of teams that have been better than us this year? <laughs> so let's just well, run over it. That's uh, that's Brentford. Interestingly enough, Darren, I did see Manchester did. City, Burnley, uh, uh, Brighton, and now Crystal Palace. Ah, oh, Jesus. Well, I did quite. I did quote you in my in my post game tweet, Darren, because there was so. I've tried to take a leaf out of the Darren book over the last few weeks. And I've tried to enjoy my football. And, you know, after certain games, I said, you know, great point, points a point. You've got to go there. You've got to win it. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Don't be a miserable cunt. All of the above. But I did say after people were sort of posting up, that, you know, it was a great team effort and to come back and in the 95th minute and all that. And I did put up, we've now been crap against two good teams and crap against three mid-table teams we've been now and if you actually go back and re-watch the Tottenham game we were good for about 15 minutes in the Tottenham <laughs> game the rest of it we weren't good for we, we just had a blitz of 15 minutes and it seems to be the way with Arsenal it seems to be that we're a team that seems to get up and go through the gears very very quickly in a very short period of time and if it doesn't come together for us, I'm not just saying this season. I, I even go back to, I, I even think under Unai, we were a little bit like this. I even think under Wenger, we were a little bit like this. You know, a team that sort of sat and hovered in second gear for a period of time and then would put on a five or 10 minute blitz. But the problem is to have a five or 10 minute blitz, to be a team that, that, that blitzes, that goes up through the gears quickly. You need to have a team of very, very efficient, very, very deadly players. And I don't think we can kind of have our cake and eat it too in the sense of getting behind the Sackers and getting behind the Smith Rose and all of the young kids coming into the team and expecting them at this stage of their careers to be equal parts, explosive, fast and deadly. I don't know that the deadly, unless you're talking about, you know, very, very, very apex players of which there are a couple in the world. I don't know that there's that many kids out there, 20-year-olds, who are deadly all of the time. Mike, did you did you take anything out of the game in a 
in a larger scope anything that you saw that you were like oh this is why we're shit <laughs> no um you know honestly i was i know we got i got a lot of backlash when you know after what we said about brighton and stuff and uh, i said it even on a different podcast i went on um you know i was trying to be that little bit more positive but not in the sense of like you know, Arteta, Arteta in or anything like that. But I got loads of backlash by saying I thought it was a well-thought, hard point. I don't, I can't defend this game like I could have done the Brighton game. Because of the way it panned out, it's... You know, the only thing I can describe it is, is obviously, you know, within the first 15 minutes, that was the best we played all match was the first 15 minutes and that's when I think we scored that goal as well up until then that were it it were done it's like you've got a kid on like one of the guys off American Pie you know he's, he's getting into it he's sat there he's waiting for his going and oops it's gone you know the premature you know it's happened it's gone it's all over you know, and that, well, that's what that's how it is to me with Arsenal watching Crystal Palace I, I, I didn't know what else I I could say about it. It was probably one of the worst matches, and I've I went to the Man City game and and that was terrible. But watching this on TV against Crystal Palace, it was fucking god awful. I can't not, defend that. Not an easy team to to watch at the moment, are we, Darren? Weirdly, when I when the game kicked off and you were at the game, I was watching on TV. I actually thought that I had. The, you know how you have the thing at the bottom of the TV and sometimes you can watch stuff in like 1.1, 1.5 times 2. We started so fucking fast, so fast, that I thought that I was accidentally watching it in like one point something. Like, the, the you know, we complain so much, Arsenal, about a lack of intensity. And no one can say that we didn't come out at kickoff in this game with a ginormous amount of intensity. But after 15 minutes and after we scored a goal, that completely dissipated. We completely disconnected. Did you? What did your eyes see physically at the game in that in that first period of time and the big drop off? Well, listening to you both, I'm a little bit concerned now that Max, you may actually have the power to control Arsenal because maybe <laughs> you sat on the remote control and actually maybe for that. We were playing it two times, and then you corrected it, but you overcorrected it, and you went to point five. That, <laughs> and you forgot, you and you well got, and then you sat, the, and, the, and then you sat on the remote control for the last five minutes. True, <laughs> yeah. it's you. You are the man. <laughs> it was, I've always uh, thought that was, I might be God. Yeah, uh, for me, the that that the season before the Invincibles. That, that great season when we had all those great players. And I know that's our benchmark. We're never going to get there ever. But that fabulous, fabulous team. I used to say, and I've said it on this podcast, I've said it many times, I reckon, and I meant this, I was, what, 40, about 40 years old at that time. I could have scored 20 goals playing for Arsenal in that side. And I mean that. I could have scored 20 goals because that team was so good. And I was an average Sunday morning footballer that could absolutely just get myself in a bit of space and knock in a goal. That was my style. This team, I wouldn't get a chance because we just don't know how to, to move from front to back. 
we just, or back to front, we just don't know how to do it. I've watched Arsenal teams for years play against substandard opposition, and we have, we have, we have, you know, we have pegged them in their area for for most of the match. And our issues have been: can we break through this defence? And we play it left to right, side to side, trying to break through. We don't do that against these teams. They take the ball up, they attack, and they look dangerous. Why does every team that play against us able to just walk through our defence? Look at that. I mean, I don't want it. We, we never really get into details, but I've just rewatched the highlights because I haven't seen it since uh, since Monday night live, and a lot of the incidents were at the other end of the field. The uh, the second goal, that Edward goal, where we lose it in midfield, it's a three on three situation. And then the guy just walks into the air and shoots and scores. <laughs> Do you know, that it, it, it's, it's so basic football. We've got a 50 million pound defender who's, who's showing him half the goal to shoot at. Uh, you know, it, it was just childlike. And, and it's so depressing that we're, we're that bad. Here's me, Mr. Positive. We are that bad at the moment. And yet within that 90 minutes, we made three or four chances where we looked like we're world beaters. You know, when that comes off, when that passing moves come off, we're brilliant. But we can't sustain it for more than that first 10-minute period. I mean, I thought you were being a bit generous when you said 15 minutes. I thought for the first 10 minutes, as soon as we scored the goal, that was it. We were we were back to, right, defending. Surely, surely that has to be something that is systemic within training, systemic within the setup of the team, that Arteta's philosophy, they often say that, you know, teams reflect the attitudes of the manager. And often the attitudes of the manager reflect what the attitudes of that manager was as a player. Crystal Palace came out, they double teamed us, they shut down the lanes in the middle. Yes, we started fast and we got a cheeky goal. Um, and at every single opportunity, they kicked us. If there was a half break on, they kicked us. I mean, and look, I try not to go into referees and stuff like that, but the fact that they weren't on yellows, the fact that none of their midfield were on yellows, let's not even talk about the red card kicking Saka because Saka got lumps kicked out of him the entirety of the game. But the fact that there were no yellow cards meant that they could keep doing that rotational fouling. But that kind of reeks of Vieira to me. You know, that's what I remember of Patrick Vieira. Everyone remembers this guy who was you know, flashy, and they look at the highlights and the passes and little chips over the top. The thing I remember most about Vieira is that Vieira was a win-at-all-costs cunt, and that's why I loved him, because he was our cunt. If he had played for another team, I'd have hated him. And I thought that in particular, Gallagher and Jordan Ayew, down that right-hand side, every time Saka got on his bike, sorry, down our left-hand side, their right-hand side, every time Saka got on his bike, they kicked him. And they broke down that passing lane. And for me, there's an element of I look at Arteta and I look at the way he coaches and I look at us going out and getting our foot on the throttle in that early part of the game, that first 15 minutes of the game. And it reeks to me that he's training us to say, you're a goal up, get your lines in, get tight, get defensive and go deep. You I'd know, like it, to agree it, with you, Max. I'd like to agree with you. But I've just listened to Arteta's aftermatch Post uh, 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 on the you know touchline com press conference, and his interview when they asked him why we dropped off after we'd scored, he said, "I don't know, I don't know." Yes. <laughs> he said, "He, he said, I don't know." He's and play, I'm thinking, well, if you don't players, know, he? he was pretty he, much he, blaming the players, and you're like, yes. "What the fuck? You're the manager." 
Why your players don't drop off for no reason? They've got I think to it, at least I, be told this has got to be tactical. The team reaches reeks of being overcoached for me, overcoached and overstructuralized, where he's got them to a point where they are so fearful of falling out of these very very specific systems <laughs> that Arteta put together for them that it's watching it and watching Arsenal this year it seems to me like all of the jazz has come out of the game right all of the all of the the players who would have that that independent thought to go and do something because they feel like it in the game state you know what we the thing that we love Martinelli for and we'll get on to Martinelli later because I have some I have quite a lot of thoughts about Martinelli but Mike for those of us who didn't start the season as Arteta out, but you and I started the season very much, I think the the quote that you and I have used more than anything was that Arteta had to had to prove us wrong. He had this season to prove us wrong because we had an inclination that we didn't love this manager. Not like the also, you know the we rust. also had an inclination as well at the fact that this this manager isn't going to get sacked anytime soon unless something very drastic happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, without being Arteta out in it, because I, I, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a viable conversation considering the investment, considering the fact that he's he's scabbing results in and out at the moment, without being too much Arteta out. Oh you can if you want. You can be fucking Arteta out if you want. And kind of what's the, the outlook at the moment from you? What's the fix for Arteta? What's the go-to for Arteta? Because everyone on Twitter, again, Arsenal fans, I think we're such fucking idiots. But because Xhaka's not there, therefore the problem is that Xhaka's not there. Even though when Xhaka has been there, we've been a fucking shithouse team, except in very few games where Xhaka plays well. I guess my roundabout way of trying to say, is there something that we've seen over the last couple of games that we think is an easy fix, or are we back on the I think this is systemically failing train? The the problem is, and I say this all the time, and I'm going to probably get hate from both sides on this one, because it is generally, it's a 50-50 camp with Arsenal, and it's either Arteta in or Arteta out. And on the Arteta inside, what would this say? <laughs> so <a> whiz-bang. <laughs> <laughs> but the Arteta inside of it, um, they would say the things like, oh, Xhaka would have been perfect for this game, uh, it's what we needed, and you know, and they won't blame the manager for any tactical decisions, you know, we've been questioning a lot of his decisions lately, on the way of how he uses substitutions, and this, that, and the other, and they do sort of question it, but they sort of pass it by, and not really say much about it. You know, they'd rather not dive into the the whole Arteta out and even question anything. Um, but on the opposite opposite end of that scale with the Arteta out, it doesn't matter what he does. He could win. He could win the next five games and on the trot, he'll still be Arteta out. You know, it doesn't matter what he does mm. now. He will still be Arteta out. Don't no one gives a shit. If it, that'll be it, that's that's it. So that, that was my take on what see, I'm seeing there. For me at the minute, and for watching Arsenal since the start of the season, I tried to enter the season, like we said earlier, with a more of an open mind to it. Rather than just going one way or the other, 
try and keep an open mind. Tell Arteta to prove us wrong. He's not proven us wrong. The fact of the matter is, these are the things that we were saying last year about him. We was we were saying it a lot, especially on my show that I did on Arsbros, and you were as well when you you was doing your stuff. Were you and Daz? We was salt. We was all pretty much singing off the same hymn sheet by saying, "This guy, the way he sets up, the way everything goes along," and we're still repeating ourselves over and over and over again. And With a hundred and fifty million pounds more investment, uh, exactly, and it's still the same problem. It's still the same issues. And this is to the point is obviously he's still not proving us wrong, is he really? You know, he's had a couple of good games here and there, but you can't be shit every single game. That that's the thing. There's no way Arsenal, with the players that we've got, even with hundred and fifty million pounds spent on it, you're not gonna be crap every single game. It's not it, it's just not viable. He's got to have some luck in some sort of respect by getting mm. some decent games. I think like, I think Mike Tottenham, in my opinion against Brighton. I think, Mike, it's, I think, Mike, it's as much about... For, there's a section of the Arsenal fans who only care about winning, right? Mm. There's a section of the Arsenal fans who only care about playing beautiful football. And a lot of those connect that with winning. I don't mind if we're a, I don't mind if we're a 1-0 team, right? I don't mind if we're a defensive team. I didn't hate us when we were playing three at the back and hitting teams on the break. I thought we were very suited to that setup. I liked this as a three at the back. I thought that we were very suited to that setup. But I think for most people at the moment, football is about enjoyment. And football is about going and watching a game and walking away from that game. And, and you can lose that game or you can draw that game and you can walk away from that and say, yeah, but we had six, seven opportunities. We should have put them to bed. And then it's very easy to look at your Aubameyangs and look at your Lacazettes and look at your Pepes and say, well, you're not finishing. You're not doing the job. <laughs> um, I love that profile picture. <laughs> but, but when the team is essentially not being given that opportunity. It's almost like the players aren't being given the opportunity to let us down because it's, we've been let down tactically prior to that happening. Um, Darren, I'll bring you in here because I've got a question for you about the olden days, the old times, Darren. I want to I I take you back, Darren, to 1-0 to the Arsenal. I want to take you back to kind of George Graham days, boring football days. Does it feel like that is a state that we're moving into again now or under Arteta we're moving into again now? Because it feels to me like we are defensively... No. We give up a lot less opportunities. No. Are there synergies between the two? None. No, no, no. No, no, no. I mean, there's one thing to, to remember is the 1-0 to the Arsenal was built on the back of 17, 18 years of, of mediocrity. Um, I mean, that's a really key point, is that we loved it because we didn't have that benchmark of a, an Invincibles or a loads of Premier League titles. We were on the back of not winning a title since 1971 till 1989. We went through years and years and years of mediocrity. So when we uh, created a defensive platform that enabled us to win 1-0, um, it was fabulous. We loved it. Everyone in that stadium loved it. Every Arsenal fan around England, because there wasn't any abroad, everyone loved it because it was such a change to win consistently. And so so that's one point to get out there. It's very important. 
it was built we were so miserable we were Everton we weren't so miserable we were used to mediocrity we were Everton we finished 6th 7th 8th 17th 14th we were nothing and then suddenly we had a team that was winning 1-0 and we got behind it and we loved it and that 1-0 to the Arsenal used to ring around the stadium every week because we knew we weren't going to let in any goals but to answer your question directly where there is no comparison whatsoever is we had the best defence and the best defensive coordinator that I have ever seen and I think English football has ever seen and we do not have that now. When we went 1-0 up, we were never going to concede a goal. We had Tony Adams, the best captain this club's ever had, who would drag that team. Um, they, they, they just wouldn't see the goal. Winterburn on one side, Dixon on the other and either Bold or, 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 or Keown alongside Adams during that period. We were just so good defensively. And I think people forget, although we were 1-0 to the Arsenal, we were actually really good going forward. Um, George Graham loved a winger. Uh, Brian Marwood, Anders Limpar, and Alan Smith in the middle. We were incredible. You know, we, we, we went 1-0 up and we could hit teams on the break. We were good. We had hard and dirty players in the middle of the park. You know, we, uh, uh, Ray Parler would run his legs off and would never give up. And they were frightened to give up because Adams was behind them, killing them. You know, we don't have that. There is no comparison, no comparison whatsoever between those times and now. We haven't got a defence that's good. We haven't got a defence that's sound. And, and, and we're on a downward trajectory for years, since those successful years of 15 years back. And in those days, we were down and we were on our way up. George Graham created the foundation for Arsene Wenger's success, for this club's success. No correlation whatsoever. Um. All right, well, it would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the individual performances because I think when we are talking about Arsenal at the moment, we have to be talking about the execution of certain players because money has been spent. Guys, there's, there's three players that I want to talk about. I'm not going to go through the entire team. So first player is Ben White. So feel free to jump in, either of you. Um, where are we at currently with, with Ben White? I thought in this game he was actually very good carrying the ball forwards through the middle of the park with the ball at his feet. It reminded me of, of peak Koscielny when Koscielny was, was at his best, actually driving into the midfield and, and creating space. But defensively, I'm, I'm starting to fear that we've gone down the track of another Vermaelen, uh, another guy who's better with the ball than he is without the ball, another guy who's more technical than he is robust at... Darren, if you're talking about, you know, us ultimately replacing this defensive general, are you seeing this defensive general in in Ben White at all? And, and what's your overall take on him now? What are we, six games into his Arsenal career? A general? He's not a general. He's, he, he's not even a, a an assistant washer-upper, OK? <laughs> he, he, he's done nothing so far to, to warrant the fifth million. This isn't a... You know, he's going to take time. He's moved... Uh, for a big amount of money to a big club, he's going to have time to settle in. I'll give him the season to, to start to feel comfortable there. He doesn't look comfortable. He looks as nervous as anything. He's, uh, he's had a terrible start to his Arsenal career. He hasn't settled. Like You look at the player next to him, Tomoyasu, has, has come in and already had a, a little bit of an indifferent game at, at, at uh, where was it, Brighton. But uh, since then, and even 
this week, the, the goal that we scored, the uh, Pepe shot, the one-two that he played with Pepe, Tomiyasu, was just brilliant. I just watched it again. It was a brilliant pinpoint pass. He's, he's settled in at the Premier League instantly. Ben White hasn't. If he was wearing a Mustafi mask, somebody would have shot him by now. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's been terrible. Yeah, embarrassing. I mean, that, the goal that they scored, he backed off, backed off, backed off, and then showed the guy half the goal to shoot at. And, and by the time the guy decided to shoot, he's 13 yards out and it's a penalty, basically. He's just got a shot and he smashed one at the top. You know, top, top of the bar. Uh, terrible, 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 but hope that he will settle because he's a very good footballer. He sort of reminds me of um, when he dives forward. And, and this is, Mike, this is the issue I have with him. I don't think that he's better than Callum Chambers when Callum Chambers was in form pre-injury and we were on this podcast Mike talking about Callum Chambers being technically our best center back at one point it just feels like we've gone and spent 50 million on another young center back to come in it, it, do you think it's the systems around him Mike that are, are, are stopping him from being able to play are we overloading him are we putting too much pressure on him or so far can we just see that he's maybe not a good enough defender and maybe we needed to buy a different type of defender uh, I mean, he'll come good. Um, you know, I, I always liked him when he was at Brighton. He was a good player at Brighton, so I think he will come good. I think the issue for him at the moment is, is obviously he's only six games in, so yeah, he does need the year, like what Darren was saying. You know, he does need some time to settle in. He's not gonna, he's not gonna start pulling up trees straight away. I don't, I don't think there's many players that can do that in the lifetime or go, go walk straight into a, tree, a team and start pulling up trees. It just doesn't tend to happen that often. Um, but he, he's uh, for me. I, I, I don't know. There's I don't, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the the way it's all set up. You know, it wasn't that long ago when we were saying about yeah Callum Chambers, but it also wasn't that long ago when he wasn't in the team and we were letting goal in after goal after goal. You know, it, it, we didn't even. I mean, I don't, I don't think there was a game when he didn't play. Apart, no, he played the first game when we lost, and then after that he didn't play. And we didn't even have a clean sheet. And then when he came back, he did have clean sheets. He was working well with Gabriel, and it started. It's, so you saw something, and it started to come good. And then obviously the last couple of games have happened, and it's just seemed to have gone a bit tits up. So I'm not too sure if it's if it's him. I'm not too sure if it's the way we're set up to defend, because he's not the only one in defence. Uh, you know, I. Um, Darren mentioned Tommy Asu. I didn't even think he had a great game after that uh, one-two with Pepe. To be honest, with you. I didn't think he was that great mm. during this game. I think I, I think he was, we'll. Uh, I, he was I think very poor. I think we'll cover that when we talk about how poor Pepe, Pepe was. <laughs> how much it fucking it bounced off him. It seems, Mike, that on one hand, if you look at the defenders that we've had and defenders we've had in the past, Rob Holding. Not good enough with his feet, but I think a very good defender and a good positional defender and more of that old-fashioned defender that we liked, but lacked the mobility. And it feels to me we've almost gone the opposite end of the spectrum. We've gone from like a, you know, a hard-nosed Yorkshireman to, you know, a bit of a soft touch in Ben White. Well, horses for courses, Mate. No, um, no, 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 no. Darren will tell you as well. You can't mix Lancashire, Lancashire and Yorkshire. Okay. Mix. Um, it feels to me, but I wonder, Mike, you know, 
essentially, are we being a little bit too, you know, we're, you know, a little overweight and a little chubby at Arsenal. You know, we haven't looked after ourselves. We've drunk too many beers in lockdown. And then we've gone on to the tinder of centre-backs. And, you know, perhaps we're thinking that we're better than we are, Mike. Because if we're saying we want a Rob Holding, um, Ben White hybrid, surely that Rob Holding, Ben White hybrid is going to be the most sorted after centre-backs on the planet because they are a hard-nosed, defending, ball-playing centre-back. And we're just not in a position to attract that. There may only be a handful of those guys on the on the planet, Mike. Well, this is it, isn't it? And that's, that's, the, that's the big thing there. You're, you're talking about... Uh a Rob Holding hybrid with somebody else, but you're talking about probably players that have come and gone, you know. You might as well be asking for the next Maldini. It's like, mm. you know, it's it's never going to happen. You're never going to find that person. And if you do find it, it's going to be way out of your price range to even pay for it. And they've got to, and they've got to fucking want to come to us. And this kind of drives down Darren into... I guess the ideas around Arsenal, the ideas around the structure at the moment. I talk about Arsenal fans having their cake and eating it too. On one hand, getting very, very excited because they've got this great cohort of young players, but then expecting those young players to be finished articles six games into their Arsenal career. No, no, no. If you listen to me carefully, I said, I'll give him this year. He's going to get better. He's nervous. He's made a big break. A big, you know, he's, he's gone to a proper top Premier League side from a, um, from a few years on loan at various places at Leeds in the Championship, he wasn't, you know, he got better and better. He's done his hard school schooling, but he's he's now gone. He's made a big jump. He's now got the spotlight on him. He's at Arsenal, so everything he done is, he does is going to be scrutinised, and he looks nervous to me. He, you know, you know, he played well against Norwich, you know, Championship side. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's okay. He's going to be well. He's a good footballer. You know, he, he's he's a good footballer. He's not getting the chance, or he's not taking the chance to do what he was good at. We bought him because you, you must have watched his YouTube reels at, at, when he was at Brighton. He was pinging football, you know, balls 50 yards left and right. He was picking out runs. He was doing all that. He hasn't done that for Arsenal because he's too scared to do so. He's too scared. He's, he's scared of giving the ball away because there's 60,000 people going to go, because that's what happens. He's in the big time now. It will take him some time. If he's a good enough footballer mentally, strong enough and a good enough footballer, he will get through this and he will become a very, very good player for Arsenal Football Club. I have no doubt of that. But he is nervous as a kitten at the moment. He's not doing the basics right. He's frightened. He's scared. He's nervous. That's up to the manager now to instill, instill confidence. We've got to keep playing him. You know, what do we do? Do we go back and start playing Rob Holding and Callum Chambers? No. We've got a, we've got a partnership there we're going to work with. It will work. It's going to take time. But at the moment, it's not working. Call a spade a spade. He's not very good. He's not playing very well. So let's um, get on to a Bamiang. Huh? Is he one of your three? He's third. He's third that we're okay. going to get on. Um, so let's talk about you know a player who cost us a lot of money, and we don't like to talk about the cost of his money. Um, but the, the interesting thing is, obviously, I'm talking about Pepe, a, a a really poor performance from Pepe again. Um, despite people, I've got this thing with fucking, not just Arsenal fans, but football fans, that whenever someone has a goal-scoring contribution, they immediately say that he had a good game. They say, well, he must have had a good game because he's he assisted for both goals. So he was involved in the assists. 
for both goals. And I just don't buy into that because the game is for 90 minutes and you can be utter shit and have one good moment. I refuse to say that that then somehow made you, uh, you know, one of the better players on the pitch. And there was quite a few people on Twitter who were saying, oh, without Pepe, we would have been terrible. Without Pepe, we would have done this. Without Pepe, we would have done that. But, Mike, one of the things that really fucking drives me nuts is people keep including Pepe in this youth cohort. They talk about, you know, your Sackers and your Emile Smith-Rose and your Pepe's. Mike, Pepe's fucking 26. He's played plenty of football. He's been in our system for a long time. I'm not sure that this guy, and no, I'm not not sure. At this point, I know that this guy is not well-rounded enough in all of his attributes to be at what is perceived to be a top six Premier League football club. Have you got any disagreement with that statement? You're on mute, champion. No, I ain't got no disputes, mate. I just think he's a fucking other Jovino in disguise. He's, he's, for me, I agree. You know, it's a case of, yeah, okay, fair enough. He, he made an assist, but let's not forget, the first goal, he had a shot. It was saved. That's not an assist to me. You had a shot saved. You you missed the goal. You know, it, that that's that's for the first one. You're not agreeing, Darren. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, look, I pay my money to watch Pepe. Uh, he's not been great, but there's there's a problem with how we're using Pepe. There's a, the problem isn't Pepe. The problem is how we're using Pepe. I mean, uh, I'm just going to disagree on that point because that shot that he the had, problem, the problem it, it was his, problem it was his move. He collected the ball. He, he made a great little run behind that Tomiyasu saw. He had a great shot that was going in the top corner, a fabulous save by the goalkeeper, and we had someone on hand to put it in. Yeah, that that was. It, well, it may not be an assist. That, me, he may not have not, said it. Not, yeah, 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 but yeah, but, but since that to me is a, not Pepe. That's not Pepe. I think that's a decent move from Aubameyang to to have that mental capacity to go. Ah, yeah, 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 if yeah. This gets but, saved. I'm on this. That's not anything to do with. Pepe. Well, let's not take away from the one good thing that Pepe. Hang on, hang on. No, no, but the, the point, when do fucking assists matter? It's like fucking XG. Do you know, now we fucking list assists, you know, and second assists and, and the assisted, the assister. It's all bollocks. It's just to fucking oh. add statistics to it. We can see with our eyes when players are playing well and playing badly. It doesn't matter to me how much they assist. You know when a player's doing well. He may play the most beautiful ball through. Patrick Vieira might play a beautiful ball through to, to, to Dennis Burkham, who flicks it to Henri, who scores. It was the ball from Vieira that made the ball, made the goal, not Burkham, but Burkham gets the assist. Let's stop worrying about statistics and who did what. You can see who's playing I well. I don't worry about didn't. the statistics. I was, I was an advocate for stopping that assist or the assist. I was there. I was saying that only came about because of fucking Meza Ozil and Meza Ozil dickhead fans who got on that saying, well, if it weren't for Meza Ozil, he wouldn't, you know, fuck off. I wasn't interested in that daft twat either. You know, and it's that's how all that shite comes My out. point and is trying to is, justify how good Meza Ozil was. You know, and I I'm hate not it. trying to justify. You start talking about Meza fucking Nozil. On yeah, fucking no, no, I'm just saying that's how all that shite came about, and I was never an advocate for that, and I hate. I'm it. not trying to but, defend Pepe. I'm just hate. You know, for, this like, is... right, you know. Okay, fair enough. He had one decent move in the game. What you know, maybe two decent moves in the game. You with it? Shit, I'm dropping the mic now. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's how, that's well, how riled yeah, up you've got him, Darren. You've got me. Listen, um, listen. No, the problem. Moves, but what the hell's in the world game? He, he fucking he ran into people and lost it. That's all he ever does. He runs into Darren, people. Darren, can and he I go back? It's got one go back? foot. Is useless. Thank Seventy you, million pounds wasted on shite. Darren, you said that you'd pay money to go and see. Pepe at the football. I think we would all go and see money to see Pepe on the end of things at the football. 16 times he dispossessed himself. 16 times he dispossessed himself, right? The ball bounced off him. His touch is far from world-class, absolutely far from world-class. For all of his trickery and for all of his pace. So let's now you're actually now making some sense. So when I said he's being used badly this is down to the manager for me you have got a front line of pepe who every time a midfielder's got the ball he runs away because that's he's he would he wants a ball over the top to run onto uh he's bit you've got a bamiyang the other side running away we have no one coming towards the ball we don't have any link between our midfield and attack we're expecting a fabulous 35 yard through ball to to make anything work pepe is being asked to do things that he's not very good at yeah, he's, he's, he's being left, he's just, the, the you know, he gives the ball, he's got a chance to give it back to the right back or take someone on. And he's he's, he's good enough to take people on and beat them. It ain't working at the moment. He's so lacking he in confidence. He doesn't fucking beat anyone. But he has in the past. We know he can do it. And he, he still can on the put inside that. and he shoots with his left foot. He I could count the times he's beaten someone on the outside with my cock. He's in my like corner. One. They As soon as he's got the ball, they put two men on him. As soon as they put the ball. So where is the smart play from our manager and from our midfielders? He drags two people. Every time Pepe's got the ball, he has two people on him. Always. Every single time, two people. Because they know he gets someone one-on-one, -on -one, he can roast them, and then he can unleash that left foot and score goals. We've seen him do it. So now managers have learned that. Opposing managers have learned that. So what they do is they double-team him every time, which leaves space somewhere else. So where is that somewhere else? It's a Bamiyang. Oh, no. He's running off in the other uh, direction, shouting, give but, me the ball, give me the ball. Yeah, there was no one think... coming back. They all just run away. Now, if we were smart to enough to use that, if we were smart enough to identify they've got two men on Pepe, that leaves a space. Let him drag it off. Don't give him the ball when he's got two men on him. Work it somewhere else. Work it the other side. Work the space. We just all run away. As soon as we get the ball in midfield, everyone runs away. I agree no, with as you, As soon Darren. as Lacazette came on the pitch, as soon as Lacazette came on the pitch, because he hasn't played for weeks, because he's a different sort of player, and he's not the best first touch in the world, but his first touch is so much better than than uh, Pepe and Aubameyang. So as soon as he came into the game, he came back, he wanted the ball, he linked the play, and he was playing one-twos, and we were linking, and suddenly we looked cohesive, and we had some opportunities to score some goals. We had more chances in the last 15 minutes than we had in the last three games. Yeah, that was, and that's not because it's Lacazette, it's because we had a player who was coming back to win the ball, coming back to link things together. Pepe was taking two men off away, there was space created, Lacazette came in there and suddenly you see him in a bangyang playing uh, one-twos and creating chances. It took until they brought that player on. Look at it like that. Don't think, oh, Pepe just keeps losing the ball. He's got two men on him. Stop giving him the fucking ball when he's got two men on him. Use that space, get a centre forward to come back, link the play and use that. And then we've got the players like Smithrow and Saka who can play these intricate one-twos and actually create chances. Arteta I, out. I, I was just wondering you what to do on this with you. 
<laughs> Darren, there's a lot to unpack in that rant. There's a lot to unpack for our listeners. And I agree with you that he is misused. So that is, I, I, I agree with you that giving Pepe the ball on the halfway line is absolutely fucking pointless. Why he keeps receiving the ball running back towards his own goal is absolutely pointless. Where I fall down with Pepe, and even though I, like I said, you know, there's a lot of elements I agree with you, where I fall down with Pepe is how poor his touch is and how poor his decision making is. So when he is double teamed, my issue with Pepe is where I would like him to be more rotational with his possession and find a pass or dig a cross out. Pepe only has that one very Jovino move, which is for me an immature footballer move where he gets his head down and he's constantly trying to beat someone and he doesn't beat enough people. So as much Can I just as say I, as well, it just occurred to me that he was the one who put the cross in at the end that fell to Ben White. So that's the assist of the assist. So he put the cross in that fell to Ben White. It was a lovely cross, right in a box with pace. Yes, but Darren, this is what I said. That's why I said he had two good moves. (laughs) This is what I said at the start. There's two moves in a game for him. Tommy Asu has a bad game because the ball is constantly coming back at Tommy Asu and he doesn't have the, Tommy Asu doesn't have the technicality because he is a hybrid centre-back, right-back. What I'm saying is, is that world-class players, Darren, have to have more than one way of playing in a game. And for me, what you have with Pepe is a very one-dimensional player who so can't change down to? his game within the game state. My time to talk, Darren. He can't change his game within the game state because he is not a rounded enough footballer. And when you are paying £70 million, £80 million for a footballer, when that footballer is 26, not 21, and when that footballer has been in your system for multiple years, you would expect that they would have developed to be able to play in multiple roles, take advantage of the way that they play well when those opportunities come to them and not only play well in the three different times when the opportunity that they wanted come to them and lose the fucking ball every other fucking time. It doesn't help, like you said, Darren, that what Pepe needs is someone getting close to him and interchanging with him. And Obama Yang, the only thing he does is run away from everyone. He doesn't connect. He runs away from everyone. And if you go back, Darren, through multiple Ask Bros podcasts, I have said over and over and over again, I do not believe that Pepe and Obama Yang can operate in the same team together because they are both very low touch and they don't complement each other. Okay, you stop talking. <laughs> we've got, we got, we got a player, Saku, who can play on the right wing and the left wing, and we've got a player, Pepe, who can play on the right wing and the left wing. Why didn't they interchange a bit? When it's not working, why don't they just change? Why don't we change that thing? Because we know what Pepe's going to do. They know what Pepe's going to do. Why don't they... We've got, we've got the one thing... Look at the, the things that we can do in this side. Not the things we can't do. Look at the things we can do. We've got players who, who can play in multiple positions. We've got Smith Rowe who can switch. Why can't they switch? Why aren't they trained in that? Why, why is that not happening? It's got to come down to the manager at the moment. He's got to learn to see these things. We can see them. Why can't they see them? Well, the I'll tell you out. Must, in it, he must see them. He's got to see these things because at the end of the day, if you look at the... When he was at Man City and stuff like that, you had Mares, you had Sterling and stuff like that. They switched. Can I can I just say that's that's the point. I've just written it down here. Uh, this we've got 
Arteta is trying to play the Man City way without the Man City players. And something that Man City do at the moment is Man City play without a centre-forward. And it's successful. That is, in my opinion, something that Mikel Arteta should try. Let's, we are playing with 10 and a quarter men. We've got 10 men playing. And, and he is adding a quarter. Remember, I've bet on him winning the golden boot. He's a goal scorer. But inside, and the way that we are playing, he, we should play without him we get an extra three quarters of a man because at the moment we have a man who's just running away and his first touch is terrible when he does come back and get into play it doesn't work he's out of form take him out use him as an impact substitution we can then bring Lazar in in his place or a another and at another midfield and let's start looking or another attacker let's go to a four four two let's change something in there because the way that Arteta is setting up that team is lacking in balance. We are, we are not an attacking threat. We have no link between our midfield and our attack. We have our attackers running away and midfielders, unless they can play a fantastic 40-yard curling ball into the path of someone, it's not working. But it does work. It looks fantastic. Look at that first goal. Fantastic. But it isn't happening enough. So we have to learn to change things we have to learn how to adapt to this take that center forward out let's play without a center forward it might just work add an extra player in there i think the issue is and we spoke about this in i think it was the last podcast is that there is an awful lot of money wrapped up in obamiang i think that this is a bit of a hail mary season for obamiang with arteta i think that we've spent the last couple of seasons Trying to play Lacazette and Aubameyang together, it's never worked. We've tried to play Aubameyang off the left and we realised very, very early on that it exposed people too much. He didn't have good enough touch. He wasn't creative enough. So the idea of going back to that seems to be folly because why repeat something that we've already seen didn't work? Most Arsenal fans spent all of last season saying, play Aubameyang through the middle, play Aubameyang through the middle. He might be a low-touch player, but that's where he's going to go and that's where he's going to score goals. But he doesn't link up the play. I actually thought that Aubameyang worked his fucking hole off in this game, tracked, pressed, harried. He's not an amazing link player, but at least I didn't get the feeling in this game that he didn't work for it, which has been my issue with Aubameyang. I've, ne- I've always thought that he's not a guy who's going to hold up the ball. It's not going to stick to him. But he's going to get you a goal every two games with his with his general conversion rate. Obviously, last season wasn't a great outcome for him. And then I do quite like him as an option off the left once another striker has come on as a substitution where we can go into a two at the front when we're trying to chase the game. My issue with the Lacazette love is this. Mike, and I'll I'll throw this to you because Darren's internet is getting systematically worse and worse. I think it's all the ranting. He's yelled so much into his headset that even his headset has decided, fuck this, I'm going back to England. Fuck you, Darren. But a lot of people talking about Lacazette, Mike, a lot of people talking about how Lacazette is being effective. I think that coming off the bench for Lacazette is saving his not, it's saving his Arsenal career, but also putting him in the shop window at the moment. I think Lacazette is very suited to coming off the bench. It's a low-pressure, 
role for him, as in he's not going out there at the start, having to put the team on his shoulders and carry them through, which he has never shown us that he is particularly good at, except for a very small period at the start of his Arsenal career before Aubameyang was signed. And I think that because Lacazette is an energy player, and I have often thought with Lacazette, I don't think he's super fit. I've never thought he's been a 90-minute striker. I think that when you've got a little bulldog in Lacazette who can hold up the play and who can increase the tempo and can give and go, that bringing Lacazette on off the bench at the moment with 20, 25, I'd like to see him with 30 minutes, yeah. is actually incredibly suited to his game. And we're seeing the best Lacazette in this role. So the idea of then fucking tearing that up six games in, removing Aubameyang, who I think Arteta is trying to play into form. I'm going to play you at centre forward all fucking year and you're either going to make it this year or we're going to try and get rid next year. I don't see tearing up the playbook now six games in and starting Lacazette as a smart move. I see that as a reactionary move and I'd like to say that Arsenal fans last year cracked the fucking shits because Arteta was too reactionary and he changed the system and he changed the team too much. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'll agree with that. And I, I prefer it at the moment with Lacazette coming off the bench because, like we've said before, every time he's come off the bench, we've seen a difference. We've we've made opportunities. We've... <coughs> sorry, excuse me. We've made chances. We've played against things. The only issue that I have got at the minute with everything is is how late he comes onto the pitch. You know, we're talking within, you know, 20 to 15 minutes left of the game and I think that's give him half an hour finding, you know yeah give him a him hard on, half an hour yeah, bring him on in the 60th you know if you're if you're thinking about changing it in the 70th minute you know it's not gonna it's it's not gone well for you from the 60th change it but Max don't piss around with it Max you just said that Aubameyang had a good game well, if he had a good game and it was still that terrible, then it's the system, not the player. As I say, there's something that's got to change there. If, if you reckon Aubameyang played well, and you said he ran his nuts off, yeah, but him and Erdegaard just chasing down two defenders, if nobody else does it, they just played out of that press so easily. It was... It was, it was, it was well, I don't think... I, I think Aubameyang did have a decent-ish game for him. You know, he tracked back and he did well for that. But that was a decent-ish game for him. You know, you're talking... I'm, you know... When I'm saying like, oh yeah, it's a good game for Aubameyang, it doesn't mean it's a good game altogether all for anyone, anybody else compared to anybody else. I thought Erdegaard had a really poor game, and I just don't think he worked in the midfield. I think Erdegaard's being misused. I think Erdegaard's yeah, being misused. Had to, that's the other thing when it comes down to saying about uh, what you were saying, Darren, about you know the system and everything else. I agree with you because Arteta needs to make a decision of who's going to be number ten. Is it going to be Erdegaard? Is it going to be ESR? It's, that's the thing that's pissing me off in it. ESR can work on the left-hand side sometimes. It can also work on the right sometimes. Erdegaard does not work as a back two with Partey. That does not work. So you need to make a decision what you're doing with Erdegaard and ESR. Or even throw, you could throw Saka into that list as well. Can we start on Partey? As I said to you yeah, two yeah, last well, week, is he all yeah, that? Time he's, to stop he's, shooting. Uh, uh, do you know what? Tell him to go back to Atletico Madrid. You know, <laughs> well, he left there and they won the league. He's not, Just... a DM. he's not a DM and a one for a start. He's, he's not a standalone DM for a start. He's not even a deep-lying player 
for me. He's a he's a connective eight. Almost, I, I actually think he's more, and I'm not making comparisons. At his best, he is more of a Vieira than he is a Gilberto, and he's being asked to play as a Gilberto. That's the way I see it, and I don't think he's quite a big lump. He's relatively slow on the turn. I haven't seen him as an amazing defender and an amazing positional defender. He's quite technical on the ball, and I like him striding out through the middle of the park. And it seems to me that with all the conversations that we've had today, so we've spoken about Pepe not being used effectively. We've spoken about um, uh, Partey being played in the wrong way. We've spoken about Erdegaard not being played in his preferred position, which is up in a 10 where he can link the play. We've spoken about Aubameyang maybe being misused. We've spoken about subs maybe not coming on early enough. It seems to be that the conversation that we're having more and more is that the manager isn't putting the team out in the structures that the team needs to be put in. But then the argument for Arteta is they're saying that the players aren't good enough to play in the structures that Arteta is trying to put them out in. Well, both of those end up coming down to the manager for me because you play chess with the pieces that you have on the board, not the pieces that you don't have. It seems but to be that you don't you don't play chess with drafts, you know, draft pieces. You know, and that, that's that. It seems to be what we're doing. If you go back to what I said at the start, it feels like there's a lack of jazz. It feels like there's an overstructure, and you're talking about being overstructured while playing players in positions that they don't seem to enjoy. Playing Party in the wrong position, playing Erdegaard in the wrong position, possibly using Pepe in the wrong way. There just seems to be this ongoing narrative, Mike, that we can't escape from at the moment and and, you know we've got about five minutes left in the podcast i had a question for both of you guys at the end of this at the end of the pod um and so i'll put it to both you and you can answer it is it possible that arteta isn't the manager to take us forward but arteta might be the manager for now while we're developing these players and then in a season, in two seasons, perhaps then once these players have developed, it's then time for someone to come in with a bit more of a developed squad. Or is it possible that we could end up fucking killing some of these guys and stopping their development? Because if we don't get the results and we don't start to put these guys out, we don't start to see some success. And I'm not talking about winning and losing. I'm talking about successes in players playing well within a system and getting confidence. Is it possible that if we do invest too heavily in this youth, I'm not saying this season I'm getting rid of Arteta. I'm saying perhaps next season, if we do have this seventh, eighth finish, and it is a... Right, I think I know where he was going before he he fingered off, Darren. Um, Well, the way I see it is, and obviously with Arteta... Is, and I said it at the start when we first started doing when I first come on this podcast uh, with you guys uh, to do this one. I said Arteta, these players that have been bought for Arteta this year, this season, they've not been bought for him. They've been bought for the next manager. And it's I, I've never believed Arteta was going to be the guy who was going to move these players forward to maintain their career. I think the club, I, I disagree. I think the club think that this is the manager for the next five years. You know, I think this is the, the this whole setup is you've got a, a manager who they think can work with these young players, a manager who they think 
that can develop these players, a manager with the ambition and the drive and desire to take this club forward. Um, it's just stalled. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, it's just stalled. And he now has to look at this and, and start to make some changes. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 this, the, the formation isn't working. Do we think that this is maybe going to end up wreaking a little bit of Unai Emery's unbeaten run? That perhaps we're going to be a team who is able to scrape results while not playing particularly well. And then ultimately, once that luck somewhat runs out, we're going to see that what we're left with was a manager who was underskilled, underskilled and unable to take the team forward at this stage. I think we're going to finish in the top four and it'll all turn out perfectly. There's that positive attitude we've been missing. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to take longer than I, than I thought. I thought with this, the issue that we've got is this is the easy run of fixtures. This is a run of fixtures where we can climb our way back up the table. I'm not worried about that. Those first three games, it was a disappointment against Brentford, but that's turned into a, you know, Brentford have actually shocked a few teams. They battered Chelsea. They took a point, two points off Liverpool. You know, um, they beat us on the night. They were better than us. They worked harder. Their crowd were up for it. You know, we lost against two teams that we know we're not good enough against. Forget that. But this latest run is a run that we should have been working our way back up the table. It's not the fact that we're not getting points. We are. We've, we've got a point against the mighty Brighton and Hove Albion. We've got, a, you know, a point against the mighty Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, so 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 there's there, there's some things there to to hold on to. But this is where we should be because sooner or later we're going to have a run of fixtures. It's going to be Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United, and we're going to be fucked. Unless well, we, we go into these games with some down. confidence. We, we spoke about the fact that we had to bank points in this next run of three games. And so far, we've we've lost four points in this next run. You know, so this next run was Brighton, Palace, Villa. If we come out of this with three points, then we go into another cycle of games where we are unlikely to get points. Uh, really, guys, you take the Tottenham win out of this and it's we're talking disasters. If, if we didn't go and have that performance against Tottenham. We're talking about full-blown disaster. That Don't may, forget, that... you are missing the mighty win against the mighty Norwich City as well. I forgot that yeah. one. Uh, final thought, guys. I thought we'd finish with this. Mike, you are the Arsenal manager. You're able to make two changes to Arsenal. Two changes to Arsenal in the next game that you think is going to make a genuine difference to how we play. What are your two changes? Erdegaard in the 10, take a, take ESR off and put Lekonga in the uh, in the midfield role. Um, that is my exact two moves. Mike, ESR to the bench, let him come on as an impact once. But that Odegaard one move. That's two moves. I, and Lekonga... was, I honestly thought it was one move as well. Yeah, it's so one. He's taken Emil. No, no, listen. He's taken Emil Smith Rowe and he's put Lekonga in. That's one move. Yeah. But no, oh, then he's moved Erdegaard. I've shifted He's moved Erdegaard to the 10. Yeah, by taking Emil Smith Rowe out and putting Lekonga in. That's one change. Fine. Fine. And I agree Mike, with that as well. Apparently, according to the fucking auditor of the question, you've got another move. What's your other move, champion? Uh, oh. This one is quite difficult for me because um, I'm not entirely sure on this one. Um, I... 
I don't, you don't I have that, to. That, I think that, yeah, I think that would probably be my only move, other than throwing on, if I could, at the t- you know, if, if it was at all possible and thinking it would probably happen, is throwing Martinelli on. But that's probably wouldn't happen until later on in the game. So that would. Be I don't, I don't think he's. I don't think he's there, Mike. I, I don't think no. he's played enough to to chuck him in now. To but warrant, yeah. getting him some time off the fucking bench, more than five minutes at the end of the game, would be a nice thing for for the young kid to have. Yeah. Darren, you're the Arsenal manager. You can make two changes. You only need to make one if you want. Can be formational. Can be whatever you like. What changes are you making for Villa? Okay, I'm going to take off Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, bring in Sambi Laconga and, and, and Lacazette, uh, and I'm going to play more as a 4-4-2. I think there needs to be some kind of... I think there needs to be some kind of consistent partner for Partey. And when we consider the fact that we are going to lose Partey to AFCON, at uh, getting Lukonga sustained minutes in a position that he is going to have to play in for what now looks like eight weeks seems to be, especially with no Xhaka in the injury, that would seem to be an important, important thing for me. Like I said, I don't think that ESR, I, I always had this in my head when we bought Erdegaard, I said, well, are we not buying a 10 when we've got a 10? And then it was about how do we fit them into the team together. Now, I don't mind ESR as a winger. I actually quite like ESR as a winger. So what I might do for a point of difference is I might actually keep ESR in the team. I might stick ESR out on the left, put Erdegaard in in the 10. If Saka's leg hasn't been kicked into the next fucking universe and he actually has two legs for the next game, I'm playing Saka off the right. And I'm going to bring in Sambi Lakonga into the midfield to partner Partey. It doesn't feel like there's a huge amount more to do. I'm not going to bring Lacazette into the team. I like Lacazette off the bench. I'm going to keep playing Aubameyang up front. And what I hope is by playing Erdegaard and ESR up there together and by playing Lakonga behind them, it should mean that those two midfielders can advance a little bit further forward get a bit more interchanging and someone can actually find Aubameyang on one of these runs that he's making. I'm sorry, Pepe, you've got to come out of the team. For me, you, you've got to show me more. Um, a minute, and f- uh, an hour and five minutes, an hour and six minutes, not too bad. We had some cabbage. We need to, we need to just finish quick. We're playing again tonight, tomorrow night. We're playing again tomorrow yeah. night. Yeah. Quick prediction. I know we don't do predictions, but quick prediction. Only because I want to say 3 nil Arsenal. I actually think we'll bounce back with a win. I think 2-0 Arsenal. I'm going to say 1-0 Arsenal. Well, I think Aston Villa are much better than all of the mediocre teams that we've played so far this season. And I'm more nervous of tomorrow night than any game so far this season. 3-0 Arsenal. I think that we will generally this season play better against teams in and around us who are going to come at us the Tottenham's, the Aston Villas, the Everton's, these are the games I'm going to be confident in because I think when the games are open and those teams are attacking, our quality and our ability to move the ball quickly in between the lines is what's going to do good for us. I think we're going to struggle against teams who sit deep and force us to break them down, and we're going to struggle against apex teams who are much better than us. So we've got to beat the people around us this season, and maybe we've got to clamber for some points elsewhere. Uh, Thank you, boys. Um, As always, you can find me and Darren on a Thursday. You can find Mike on a Thursday. 
Thursday night, Friday morning for me. My pub's open tonight. I've been fucking locked down for another four months, but my bar is back open, which means I'm going to have to go and do a 14-hour day and yell at everyone. And people are going to be constantly going to be snorting coke in the fucking toilets. I'm going to tell them it's fine as long as they give me some. I look forward to seeing you next week. Can I, can I suggest that when you earn that money in the pub, you spend it on some new internet? But mate, Get my internet is fucking cabbage at the moment. Yours wasn't much fucking better. I know. I'm in a fucking middle of nowhere in Spain. Fucking 100 miles from the nearest city. Okay, guys, just remember, if they're your friends, they're a cunt. If they're not your friends, they're a cunt. an Ask Brothers production. Follow us on Twitter at The Ask Brothers. Get all our content on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Ask Bros. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to smash that subscribe button.